Well, if you think that Jesus doesn't love you, think again. Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But if you think that you're just lucky that Jesus loves you, well, it's not luck either. It's grace. It's undeserved, unlimited, unimaginable gift from God. We've heard four stories during Lent so far about Jesus' love for us as shared in the Gospel of John. And today we're going to move on to John chapters 9 and 10 and we'll hear two more stories of Jesus' love. Have you ever heard the expression, here's mud in your eye? It's usually given as a toast, but but who was the first person that, that thought it was a good idea to wish somebody muddy eyes? You know, no one really knows for sure where the phrase came from. There are people that speculate. Some believe that it started with farmers wishing each other plentiful rains for their fields. May your fields be so well watered that you get mud in your eyes. Others attribute it to uh, reverse superstition, kind of like uh, wishing an actor break a leg. You know, it, the superstition is that to wish an actor good, good luck or to do well um, is bad luck. And so you have to wish them the opposite. So you wish them break a leg. Some think that this opposite kind of thinking uh, and horse racing came together to this here's mud in your eye because the horse that's losing gets mud kicked up in its face by the one in front of it. And so if you want to wish a jockey well, uh, but you, so you say the opposite, and you go, here's mud in your eye, like, here's break, like break a leg. Well, I think that sounds like a bit of a stretch. I really believe that the, the phrase probably came from the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John where Jesus heals a blind man by putting mud in his eyes. So here's mud in your eye then becomes in this way, here's to your blessing by Jesus. Here's to God's love for you. Here's to your healing. The story starts at the very beginning of the chapter. Jesus went along. He, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. Just because someone has a problem doesn't mean that they deserve it. This man is blind, but it's not because somebody did something wrong. And it's not because God didn't love him. Take note that it's Jesus who notices him as he walks along the way. And it's Jesus who stops to help. Helping him by making mud and putting in his eyes. 
And like we heard last week, this is great news. This is a wonderful healing that Jesus has accomplished. But just like last week, Jesus has broken the rules to do this. He has done this healing on the Sabbath. Verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he'd received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Notice how quick some of these Jewish leaders are to judge Jesus. They don't know him from Adam, but they hear that he is healed on the Sabbath, and so they assume that he can't be from God. Just like the disciples assumed that the man's blindness was caused by sin. And we all know what happens when we make assumptions. Let's continue on. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he now can see? Now his parents identify him, but they don't know how he was healed or who healed him. So they haul the man back in for more interrogation. A second time they summoned the man who'd been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you didn't listen. Why, do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple too? Ah, yeah, now he's done it. Then they hurled insults at him and said, You're this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. So the best thing in the world that has ever happened to this guy has just happened. Jesus has healed him. But no one believes him. They don't believe that Jesus put some mud in his eye and for the very first time in his life, he can see. Have you ever tried to tell someone about the difference that Jesus made in your life and they don't really believe you? You say that Jesus answered your prayer and they look at you funny? You say that Jesus has healed your marriage and they scoff? You tell them how 
Jesus helped you recover from an addiction, and, and they roll their eyes. You tell them how Jesus helped you to see the world in a whole new way, and they just get mad, like the Pharisees. The Pharisees didn't want to hear it, so they literally tossed Jesus out of the room. He can see for the first time in his life, and what does he see? Angry faces, cold hearts, and rejection. I can just imagine him sitting there on the steps with his head in his hand, just shaking his head, frustrated, dejected, wondering what in the world is going on when he encounters a friendly face. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out, and when he found him, Jesus said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Remember, Son of Man is a phrase that Jesus uses uh, as a name for himself. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus hears that this guy has been thrown out, has been rejected. And so Jesus seeks him out to comfort him. And so this man might come to faith. Jesus' love moves him to seek the lost and the hurting, and not just to bring physical healing, but to bring spiritual healing as well. Because that's the way Jesus works. He doesn't wait for us to come to him or wait until we just bump into each other somewhere. Jesus actively seeks us out to make us his own. He takes the initiative. What a friend we have in Jesus. Speaking of friends, have, have you ever noticed that, that often one person in a friendship seems to take the lead? That whenever you talk or, or get together or even text, that, that one person always seems to take the initiative and goes first? Now, it often creates resentment. I mean, how come I always have to plan everything? How come we never talk unless I call? And I have to confess that I am the guilty party when it comes to my friendship with Kevin. I love talking with Kevin. We've known each other forever. He's a great Christian. But nine times out of ten when we talk, Kevin is the one who's made the call. When we go out for coffee, he is the one who invites me. And when something is going on in my life, he is the one that reaches out with prayer. Sometimes a long period of time will go by when we don't talk. But always he is the one to seek me out and to reestablish the connection. In that way, he's kind of like Jesus. See, Jesus seeks us out. He looks for the lost and the hurting. Just like he did to that formerly blind man. When the religious leaders rejected him, Jesus sought him out. And he became a believer. Kind of reminds me of Jesus' parable of the lost sheep. You probably remember it. But it's found in, in Luke chapter 15. And then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country 
and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus is like that sheep owner. He searches for the lost until the lost are found. In the church that I served on the Iron Range up in Chisholm many years ago, they had a window. And it was a picture of Jesus carrying the lost sheep. It was, it's one of the most common motifs in stained glass windows. You know, I've seen a lot of the a lot of churches and a lot of windows and I've seen a lot of windows with Jesus carrying a sheep but I can't recall that I've ever seen a a stained glass window of Jesus turning the water into wine or healing the man at the pool of Bethesda or even feeding the 5,000 but for some reason Jesus carrying the lost sheep is a popular theme for churches to put on their windows and and for stained glass artists to make. And I I wonder why that is. Why is that motif so popular? I think it's because we can all see ourselves in that story. We may not have been blind from birth. We may not have been tossed out on the street because we told the truth. But we can all see ourselves in the sheep that has wandered off. And we're surprised to discover that the Lord went looking for us to bring us back home. That Jesus loves us so much that he rejoices and throws a party when what is lost and found, is found. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. In John chapter 9, and the man with the mud in his eyes. Now in, in chapter 10, Jesus picks up the analogy of the sheep and the shepherd, and he expands it. He doesn't just search after the lost, but he leads them. He calls the sheep by name and gives them abundant life, gives us abundant, full life. It's not just a matter of being saved, but but it's having life to the fullest because we are walking with the good shepherd. Here's what Jesus says in that chapter. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeepers open the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I listen to Jesus' description of the good shepherd here, and I, I can't help but compare it to my days raising sheep uh, because things were a little different. First off, the sheep didn't listen to my voice. They spoke their own language, the language of the feed pail. And maybe your dog has, uh, 
has that same kind of, uh, of language. You know, I could call them all day and they would pay no attention. And it doesn't matter if I shouted their name or shouted names that are not fit for church. They still didn't listen. But you throw a handful of corn in a bucket and they can be across the, the field and you just shake it a little bit and they all become greyhounds. I mean, they're there. Now, I really can't blame them for, for not being very attentive to my voice. I mean, I was trying to fatten them up for market. But the good shepherd, the good shepherd, he came to give us life and life to the fullest. And while he gives us life, he himself offers up his life for us. He gives his life for us as he did on the cross. He continues in the story of the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. The thief comes to take and destroy. The hired hand comes to take care of the sheep, but only when it doesn't cost them anything. But the good shepherd will lay down his life to protect the sheep. The sheep that he knows by name. If you think that Jesus doesn't love you, you're sorely mistaken. If you think that it's just lucky that he happens to love you, now think again. Jesus knows you by name. He calls you by name. And he gave his life to give you life, abundant life. That's not luck. That's love. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. In John chapter 10, in the story of the Good Shepherd. In John chapter 9 and 10, we see here Jesus taking the initiative healing the blind, seeking out the rejected and hurting, caring for the lost, learning each of us by name and willingly laying down his life for our sake. He said on that Thursday evening before going to the cross for us, he said, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And he also says, that night, John 13 a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So how far are we willing to go for our friends? How far will love take us? How far will we go to rescue the lost, to comfort the rejected, to heal the blind? You know, in the parable, the 99 sheep that are sitting comfortably with their friends on the grassy hillside 
they probably don't even notice the one who wasn't there. But the shepherd noticed. And we know what it's like to be that one, don't we? We also know what it's like to be the 99, if we're honest. But Jesus challenges us to go further. To be like him. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So where will love take us? I want to challenge you to be in prayer about that. You know, this church has a history of doing big things to love and reach out in the name of Jesus. This Easter, we're once once again taking the whole offering and giving it to our mission work. We call it Be the Hope. And we support three key missions with that with that offering, youth scholarships, Hastings Family Service, and Zoe Empowers for Orphans in Africa. And each year we generously give ten to $20,000 in that one offering. And we do all sorts of other things. We hold worship in the park and offer a free picnic for all. There's Fall Fest at Tharp's Farm. We offer meals every Wednesday and a Thanksgiving feast for the community every year. Just last Wednesday, 22 people heeded the call and went to feed my starving children. And they packed 26,000 meals. And there's VBS and, and youth camps and support groups and all these things are ongoing and they all need our prayer. But, but what I'm challenging you to pray specifically is that Jesus would open our eyes to see the one, or rather the ones, that God wants us to reach next. Who is our version of the blind man who needs mud in his eyes to see? Who are the lost sheep who need us to go out looking for them? Jesus is already leading us out. He's already taking the initiative. But loving as he loves What is the next big thing that Jesus is calling forth from Resurrection Church, from you and I? That's what I'd like you to pray about. What is the next big thing that Jesus wants to use this church for? To reach the lost, to heal the broken, to comfort those who are afflicted. All these things we are doing now to follow Jesus They started with an idea that somebody had. They started with someone's prayer. And we have things like the Thanksgiving meal and our youth camps, etc. So will you pray for eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that the Good Shepherd is calling us to do next here at Res? What is it? What's the next big thing? You've been loved. You've been called by name. You are the flock of the good shepherd. But as Jesus said, his flock hears his voice and follows when he calls. So pray to hear Christ's voice. Pray for the next big thing here at rest for us to do on behalf of our friends, our neighbors, most of all, our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, once again, we've heard stories from your word of your great love. 
of the initiative that you take to reach the lost, to heal the blind and the brokenhearted, to guide your sheep, and to bring abundant life. Lord, help us to hear your voice. Help us to discern the movement of your spirit. Help us, Lord, to be your flock and joyfully go where you lead us. We thank you for your love. We are so grateful. Amen.